You're listening to K&J Recaps. Uh, hey guys, we are back. You are with Kim. And Jess. And uh, this is K&J Recaps uh, for Stranger Things, episode three? Yes. Holly oh my jolly. goodness. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, so Holly Jolly, um, episode three. Um, so we are recapping in detail at this point. Hopefully that um, you've listened to our first couple of podcasts and uh, you kind of know everything that we're about. But ultimately, we're just going through scene by scene in lots of detail uh, t- discussing Stranger Things. So if you haven't watched the episode already, go back and watch it first and then come back and listen. Excellent. Um, I am really stoked about this episode. I feel like it's getting so good, Jess. This was the hardest so far to not <laughs> go into episode four immediately. I know. And I'm glad that I didn't get, um, that I was able to stop Netflix before it even flew into this, this episode, like at the end of episode two, because the opening scene is so intense. Of this. Oh, yeah. Like just from the minute, from yeah. the minute that it's from the second that it starts. Absolutely. Totally agree. Also, on a very quick side note, um, I did listen a little bit to um, our podcast uh, from episode two. And uh, if anyone who's lis- is listening and hasn't listened to the first couple of episodes, so you might have missed the fact that Jess and I are new to podcasting. This is our first one. And so our third episode of our first ever podcast. So listening to the podcast last week, I just I did find myself a little bit hilarious where I was like, listen to this, guys. I'm about to blow your mind with this theory. And then yeah, you have kinda, to keep going with the theories. They're so amazing. And then, I am going to accept what I find hilarious is that like listening back, I'm like, um, actually, so that was pretty obvious. Like, I was really proud of myself about the fact that the pictures might mean something <laughs> like of course they do Kim. i don't You're... well then i am hopefully people who listen to us enjoy this because yeah i was i wrote numerous times i was like kim you totally <laughs> called this and then the fact that the final scene is at that quarry i was like there we are back oh in the my quarry. God. <laughs> okay you know how i realized that i'm watching this show i'm real i've realized that i am watching the show like an m night Shyamalan movie like like the movie <laughs> signs <laughs> where it's like every single thing that happens is in the show I'm like it is a sign of something to come and then in some cases it is and in other cases it's like that's just a thing that happened but I think you're just um, providing ideas to the producers of Stranger Things for season two <laughs> clearly who are listening to our right. podcast that's all I can say uh anyway okay so let's jump into episode three because there's a ton to unpack there is uh, okay, so starting off, like we said, it jumps right into it. So at the end of episode two, we saw that Barb has been taken by by the creature. Mm-hmm. The, uh, so we open up and see Barb looking a little worse for the wear. She looks pretty beat up and sm- glasses are smashed and she is um, gasping and sputtering up water. Uh, so so <clears throat> she appears to be some kind of like at first she looks like she's in some kind of windowless room. Um, but and it's like covered in this organic material and stuff. But it turns out that she's in the pool. Yeah. She's still in the pool. Um, so as she's climbing the st- the ladder to get out of what turns out to be the pool to get away from the creature who is in there with her. We see as she as she emerges like we're still in Steve's backyard. Yes. Just just not it's not the same anymore. 
okay, like, tell me what was your reaction. When so you saw crazy. This? Yeah, I was with you. I didn't know where she was. And then you see the ladder and then you're like, oh, my God, it's the pool. And, of course, it's interspersed with, you know, scenes of Nancy and Steve making out in the room upstairs. Um, it's definitely a couple of things. I guess there's that part where Nancy hesitates and it's right after, yes. yeah, they have Barb scream. Yeah. It's like, did she hear Barb she in the same way Barb? that Joyce, yeah, thinks she can hear? Or, yeah, are those things related? And then she's got that really, like, crazy visceral scream as she's trying to get out of the pool and then she gets pulled back in and she stops screaming. So like, She was so close to making yeah, it. Yeah, and what does that mean yeah, I definitely, I had that note, too, about Nancy's hesitation. Um, you know, the timing of it was, you know, could not have been coincidental in my book. Yeah. She hesitated right after um, Barb screamed, but she didn't, it wasn't like, you know, what's that scream? You know, she didn't even seem to realize why she was hesitating. Um, and But we do know, though, because Will said mom on the phone with Joyce, we know that they're able yeah. to cut through in some way. Obviously, the light's you know, are a different form of communication. But Will actually said the word mom. So that was through the phone. I'm not sure if, you know, the communication through a device would be, you know, easier than, uh, you know, Barb just simply screaming. But yeah. I really think that that hesitation. Yeah. Some, and then what do you think meaning. of like, the design of the world? I mean, it was like the pool was empty. It was all full of vines or some sort of growth as was the house. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think that that's the same kind of st- st- stuff, you know, that we were seeing in the bottom of the lab. Right. And like this kind of root like structure. And now, I mean, should I jump ahead or should I wait till that scene? I think you should, Yeah. I think you're, this is, we are going to, the linear thing is going to be a challenge in this we one are for sure. We're all over the yeah. place on this one. But I mean, yeah. Okay. So. So describing this world, it's like everything is gray. It's covered. It's covered in these like root type things, you know, this organic stuff. And then there's like this snow or ash or something that's falling through the air. It's it's a really otherworldly quality. It's almost like, you know, I don't know if you were to like wave your hand in front of your face. I feel like it would almost be like thick with, um, Otherworldliness. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect description. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, I feel like I really painted a picture there. I, if, if our viewers haven't seen the episode, I'm pretty sure they just saw it right there in their minds. In their minds, I. <laughs> their hands full of otherworldliness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so uh, so Barb gets pulled back in by the creature, and then credits yeah. what a cold open that yeah. was yeah i am concerned for barb even more barb. so now but i know yeah it was a good um so yeah go through the same credits which we love and then we're back we're still with nancy and steve uh, i thought originally that maybe it was morning but it's not it's later at night um he's asleep and she's you know trying to say goodbye at least and he's she's like see you tomorrow and he says nothing he's just kind of whatever and she leaves out the pool um and seems to hear something or i don't know there was some sort of like prompt gets herself spooked but anyway she well i actually i didn't think that that was something she heard i was actually thinking like wow steve's a giant 
dick because right. you know she when nancy told barb to go home she said i'll get a ride and then steve wouldn't wake up so i think now she was like what's she gonna do yeah she, but she doesn't notice that barb's car walk. isn't gone and i know they parked it further away but and i guess she just assumes barb went home which means she really i mean nancy it takes so long for nancy to realize that there's anything wrong here yeah. this is like an issue with nancy i find right but, um she doesn't have Whatever threw her off when she was with Steve, it wasn't enough to tie it to Barb in the sense that she's worried about Barb in any right. kind of way. Like, she just kind of... And, uh, yeah, and then she goes home when her mom is waiting up because, obviously, it's hours after... I think she was supposed to be home by, like, 10 or something ridiculous. And, I mean, pretty clear that her mom knows something happened. For sure. And her answer that nothing happened with, like, tears in her eyes is extremely unconvincing right. but they you're not winning any yeah. awards with that exactly nothing <laughs> happened we went for food after the vigil for that i lied about and everything's good so yeah 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 not not pulling any fast ones over her mom there so she's like you can talk to me she's very yeah you know like but nothing from nancy on that yeah uh, so, uh, Joyce is, um, sitting in Will's room surrounded by lamps that she has set up as a way to communicate with him and she is calling his name. And this is where Jonathan finds her, um, in the morning. So he, she, Joyce tries to demonstrate, she tries to get Will to demonstrate, um, this communication through the lights. Uh, and when she asks him to show a sign, you know, there's a little flicker, but Jonathan's not buying it. He really thinks that Joyce is just kind of losing it. Yes. And, um, you know, I don't really blame him. You know, obviously we know that Joyce, that Joyce is not going crazy. Um, but I can see how Jonathan would think that she's probably, you know, she hasn't slept. She hasn't eaten. Her son is missing. She's just lost it. Um, so he chalks it all up to electrical problems and, um, and has Joyce promise that she'll sleep. Um, but as soon as he walks out of the room, she just continues to call Will's name, but like a little softer. Yeah, it's great. Like Joyce is so smart. I mean, mm-hmm. I just throughout this whole episode, she just figures things out so quickly. She obviously has, and maybe it is that she's like kind of a strange woman in general, because you kind of get that feeling given how the whole town thinks of her. I know, but this is the thing. I think that one of the one of the ways in which she's so smart or one of the qualities that she has that allows her to be so smart in this way is that she does not give Absolutely. a fuck. Completely agree. And, and that she's not... She's like, okay, he's communicating to me through a third or fourth dimension and it's going to be lights and there's nothing... Like, she never even has to talk herself out of it, right? And yeah. so she's able to she move doesn't so care. much faster than anybody else would be able to do. Like, it's... She doesn't care if to other people she looks crazy. Absolutely. And the only reason why, you know, like, she kind of lets it go with Jonathan is in this scene is because she's trying to protect Jonathan. Absolutely. And she's trying to, to protect him from worrying about her. But she knows that she's right, and so, you know, she just carries on. And we see that, you know, like... Uh, you know, when Karen's in the house, that's right. And, and a later scene where she's like, "You gotta go." Yeah. You know, she just she's beyond. She tries to hide being it. Polite. No, she knows she needs to cover it for long enough, and then she's like, "Yeah, no, go." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> stuff's exactly. happening here. Yeah. So no, I really liked. I I mean, I can totally see how there she looks to people, but I just I really think she, it's just amazing what she's able to do as in that character. For sure. Um, so then we're back into Mike's basement. Uh, the boys are all there. Dustin and Lucas and Mike and Elle is there as well. 
Um, and they've got their uh, materials that they're going to destroy the Demogorgon with, which is what <laughs> Elle left them with on the last episode. And I love, this is a great scene where Lucas has a series of supplies from Nam, which like, I know. <laughs> obviously he has a family Binoculars, knife. Yeah, from Nam. And then yeah. Dustin's supplies are just exclusively food, um, which is not, you know, not stupid you, they do need snacks but it's like oh yeah super funny and then there's yeah. a great um toy millennium falcon that comes out from hiding and dustin's trying to convince Elle that she should levitate it and there's yeah mike saying she's not a dog um and she's not just gonna and she is just it. not interested at all she doesn't say no she doesn't say anything she just she Looks continues to play with the walkie-talkie what's it called yeah, I don't remember. Well, I don't that remember that the mega something. Yeah. But the, the giant walkie-talkie, she yeah. continues to play with that, which I have theories about. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so she, you know, is just not having it with the absolutely. Millennium Falcon can, demonstration. You could absolutely imagine, given what we see of her later in this episode, I mean, she's just expected to perform on cue so many times that I'm yeah. sure the second someone's like, hey, do this with, you know, levitate this. Even as the boy, she's like, absolutely nope. yeah no this is why i escaped that crazy place so yeah uh so just a quick scene of nancy at school and finally realizing that barb isn't there uh she has another girl but barb hasn't been seen all day so um at this point we're really kind of um starting to see nancy realize that something's up but um it's you know been obviously overnight and into the next day that barb's been gone that no one has noticed poor barb I know. Which really really makes it seem like Nancy is Barb's only friend. And she's not being a very good friend in this case. Yeah. That is true. Yeah. Um, So then we move forward to a great um, exhibition scene in terms of giving us some of the information we've been dying for over the past two episodes, which is what do the people of Hawkins think is happening in that energy laboratory? Um, So we see Hopper and the other cops arrive and they're at a security guard. And the guard said, well, I guess they say on their way coming in, they were kind of talking about what they think happens in that building, even. And I think I think one of them says, I I heard they make space weapons here. Somebody references the Cold War, I think. Like, And I right. kind of thought back, it is a time in the 80s where there would be a lot of NORAD and military bases. It would have been a, a different time in that sense, like... Uh, just as a super quick aside, I remember my parents telling me about going to visit a decommissioned NORAD base in Ontario um, through someone that they knew, like after the Cold War was open, over rather, um, and just how creepy it was and how kind of like nearby it was. And it was just kind of this like place that was fenced that you just didn't go. Crazy. So, you know, it is kind of a thing of the 80s that, I mean, you saw a little bit more of the culture because we see a scene a little bit later with Reagan in it and that kind of thing. So, yeah, so I kind of understood a little bit more how they're not like what the hell is this giant building in the right like so and hopper says in a later scene too that when um when he's talking to one of the supervisors that he asks him for details of what they're doing there and it's like oh staying ahead of the russians yeah exactly right and so that's it yeah so this time they can't get in there's discussion that they'll need clearance from the department of energy federally and he hopper is trying to work on this guy just to let him in for a little bit so we're going to go back to you're right that kind of discussion as well for sure um so back in mike's basement uh 11 is using telepathy (laughs) to make the millennium falcon uh hover so uh yeah certainly she is able to do it she just didn't want to do it on command dustin 
Uh, so she's still playing with Mike's walkie-talkie. So here's my updated theory on the walkie-talkie. Okay. Because I think that I had mentioned in an earlier podcast that I was thinking like maybe she'd be able to go further distances with it because Mike had said that he only uses it to really talk to Lucas because Lucas lives so close. But now I'm thinking what if she can communicate with Will through the walkie-talkie? Right. You know, so um, for whatever reason, he is having difficulty communicating by phone. Like it keeps like shorting out. Right. But maybe the walkie-talkie offers some kind of different, I don't know, technology. I think it's a good concept. I mean, I still have no idea what the end of the episode means for that. But, like, yeah, that maybe because it's wireless. Um, oh, do you think, okay, can we just jump right ahead? Yeah. Do you really, do you think Will's dead? I don't know. But how I can that not, not be his body? I think it is his body, but I don't think he's dead. I think that it's like, I think it's like a ghost dad type scenario. You know, where it's like the body is in a coma, but the, you know, consciousness is elsewhere. But, like, he's been in the water for 48 hours. Has he? Well, they just pulled him out of the water. I know. But I agree. I don't see how he can be dead in the sense that, yes, he's in the room in the same way that Barb. Like, he just told Joyce he was alive. Yeah. He he just told. I mean, I, I think that Will is in that. Heidi hole he is in the same Heidi hole where Joyce was talking to him with the light bundle yeah but he is in that exact same Heidi hole but in the different dimension so the yeah. two of them are sitting in the exact same place in two different worlds I do not know how his body yeah I guess I just can't reconcile this, how he has a non-breathing body or right, how it got there right. or how yeah, and then where is Barb's body, if that's the case? Like, it... Anyway, this... Yeah, like, yeah. I don't think... I mean, I, I'm really not clear on what my theory is in this in this moment. But I don't think that he... I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I, do, I 100% feel like he was snatched. Like, yep. body and soul, right? Yeah. But I... So I, I cannot explain how his, his body is now here and Will is theoretically still back at his house with you know um yeah with with joyce having a conversation through the lights right i don't know um and i definitely think like barb is missing body and and consciousness um but i don't know there has to be an explanation because i really don't think that i don't think that will's dead i agree i that's a good point i guess i just so we didn't see her for sure communicate with him after we found the body it we don't really see the body other than everybody is very sure it's him. Yeah. Um and it's dressed like him. Um Yeah, I didn't go back to episode one to check to see if he was wearing that red vest that we saw from the distance, but I'm I feel comfortable making the assumption that that's well. Yeah, and I assume you just didn't see the body because Yeah. But anyway, we will I think I really need the next episode. <laughs> I know. Like, figure that out. But I agree. I don't think it's not that he's going to stop talking to her. Like, I think he is still there in the other dimension. I guess it's just, but Eleven seems so shocked to see his body too. I know. And I have so much to say too. I feel like I'll go, I'll come back to these um, comments when we get to the scenes that we're going to discuss them. But I mean, like, um, Eleven has to have, she has to have, in addition to te- telepathy, um, she has to have some kind of psychic ability and a mm-hmm. psychic connection with the creature in particular, because I mean, how did she know that Will is hiding? Yeah. She didn't, she didn't see Will, you know, she was, they weren't at the lab together or whatever. 
Um, and how did she know where Will lived? I mean, she definitely has a psychic ability that took her to that house. And did no you one... think that she responded to Barb's picture too in Nancy's room? Yes. Yes. Right? So, yeah. yeah, exactly. So I actually, I thought that it was like, an, I thought that it was almost telling in sort of like the non-reaction. Yep. Like she was kind of looking at everything and she didn't have a reaction to Barb the way that she did to Will. But I think that that was just the show trying to keep us guessing a little bit. Um, but yeah, 100%, I think that if she knew that Will was missing, she has to know that Barb is missing too. She mm-hmm. has to have some kind of psychic connection to this other dimension. Yeah. Um, okay, so where, where so were we? So she was we? upstairs and she turns on the TV. She goes, she, she's, she right, leaves right. the basement in boredom and yes. goes upstairs to, I think, <laughs> go play on the Lazy Boy, which I thought was funny. Very she's cute. going back to it. Um, and then, yeah, she's going through the stations, which is where I certainly noticed Reagan popped up. He-Man popped up yes. again. And she's going Master through the channels. Of the, uh, Masters yeah. of the Universe. Nice Absolutely. And then she came across the Coca-Cola ad. And then do you right. want to talk about maybe the flashback? Yeah. So she flashes back to the lab. So she's sitting at a table and there's a can of Coke sitting next to her. And she's got sensors on her head. She's being observed by Dr. Brenner and other doctors. And she's concentrating on the Coke can and crushes it with her telepathy and the scanners that are measuring brain activity or whatever. They're like going crazy. Yeah. And afterwards, her nose bleeds from crushing the can and Dr. Brenner looks really pleased. So I definitely got the impression that this was her first successful use of the telepathy. Right. And this was very recent. So, I mean, like it looks, she looks the same age. She, you know, her hair is the same length. So this would explain a little bit why, you know, I asked the question in the last episode, like, why didn't she use her telepathy to talk stop the orderlies from putting her in that box as punishment (laughs) and i think that it's because like these powers are really new right and and that makes sense too because it's like i mean how do you contain someone with these powers it's almost like as soon as she got them she used them to bust out probably right uh so uh back in the present 11 turns off the tv she looks pretty shaken and um what do you think about this like i was kind of wondering in this scene especially like are these memories being triggered by experiences that she is having? Or like, are these memories that she has? She just thinks about them and remembers. Or do you think that like the flashback of the the box was triggered by being in the closet and the flashback of the Coke can was triggered by the commercial? Do you think she has these memories? I think she does. To me, it feels more a function of the show trying to figure out how to show you them. Yeah. Than it does that she's like shocked to discover she has this past. Right. Like, I feel like, and I don't know what exactly I'm, is making me say that, but I do feel like there's not that, um, other than the fact that obviously, I mean, she's reliving the moments, I guess, as she's remembering them, but mm-hmm. I don't think she has not had those memories until that moment. I think it's more that it's just prompting it by seeing, especially if you think about that stark environment, like the things that are recalling her are very visceral. Like the cocaine is the only colorful thing in the room, I think, in that whole scene. Yeah, totally. You know, All white. You would be not be exposed to what, Coke commercials look like and suddenly it must be a really weird you know thing um, yeah yeah I would agree for sure like I I do think that um I, I questioned it a little bit especially by her reaction in this particular one um but I do think you're probably right that she does have these memories and whatever and this is just like uh you know a storytelling device yeah um but yeah like every time we see one of these uh flashbacks like she's super shaken um you know so any kind of like um, trigger like the Coke can commercial or, you know, um, the, the closet is obviously like making her relive these things. Right. Um, 
in a, in a really real way because uh, she's, you know, really affected by it. Absolutely. So uh, we move from there into Joyce going back to that store that she works at and she's buying, well, I guess first she's put Christmas lights up all over her house, literally all over her house. Um, and then she's run out. She can't get to the plug, I think, or she can't get as far as she wants to. So she goes back to the general store she works at to get a absolute ton of additional Christmas lights. And I, this is the first time I realized that it is Christmas time because there's Christmas music playing in the store. Well, I don't think I actually went back and I checked the dates on it, but I don't think that it is yet. So we do in episode one, we are shown that it is November 6th, 1983. And so I was, I 100% agree, like in this scene, I was like, oh my God, like how much time has passed? But like it, it has only been a couple of days. So I really think that we're only at like November 8th, November 9th at most. Um, But I guess like in November, 100% they would have Christmas lights out and... But I don't um, know if... I mean, yeah. Maybe it's a bit of a weird thing because I feel like absolutely now there is, but I feel like, especially in the States, that means Thanksgiving hasn't happened yet. And, you know, it does feel like a little bit early. And I was trying to... Yeah, I was like, how are people in a pool? How is the pool not closed up for the year in one scene and then the next scene we're buying christmas lights when we're in like the um, northeast here that is super true um a hundred percent so true and um just as a quick side note they made like specific mention that the pool was heated in this episode um so i'm like okay like it's definitely i'm not off on my timeline or or yours you know like you're not off either well like who keeps their pool open even if it is heated like that's crazy i know it's It's like steam coming off of it yeah exactly yeah uh people in 83 well no energy prices were like out of control so yeah i have no idea (laughs) it shows how wealthy steve's parents truly are that they're heating their pool in november for no purpose whatsoever they're not even there yeah (laughs) free access to the pool exactly uh yeah so and i love this too i love how joyce just takes no shit yeah uh yeah yeah. So Don Donald, who again is her boss slash owner of the store, or whatever, you know, starts to say something. You know, he doesn't even get more than Joyce out of his mouth before she's like, "Just bring me up, Donald." It is kind of funny though because the money she's spending is his advance that she says she needed. <laughs> she's in buying like thirty containers of Christmas lights, and, and she does not care. No, exactly. I owe you no explanation, Donald. <laughs> Sell me my Christmas lights. That's right. Good day. Uh, okay, so Hopper has been successful in getting into the lab grounds. Um, so he's looking at the opposite end of that drain pipe where the fabric was found on the search. Um, so the man in a suit, who we assume is the supervisor that uh, the guy at the gate called, um, he advises that there's no way that a kid could climb through that pipe without being seen by surveillance cameras. They've got they've got them everywhere. So Hopper wants to see those tapes. Um, so it's en route to go and see to the viewing room where they, they're going to see the tapes that, um, Hopper asks who's in charge. And, uh, the man says that it's Dr. Brenner. Um, so a little more, uh, country bumpkin cop where <laughs> he's like, is this where you make the space lasers? <laughs> oh, you're the worst. Uh, so they're brought to a viewing room and this is where there's, they say that they're showing the tapes for the sixth and the seventh. Um, Nothing is uh, suspicious showing on the tapes, but as they leave, Hopper uh, mentions that on the 7th, they had to call off the search party because of a storm, but the tapes didn't show any rain. So he knows something's up. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, I think this, you know, the fact that he got in there is really kind of impressive. Like I, 
am surprised that that worked <laughs> for him. And then the other thing I was thinking is like how rare CCTV in the early 80s really would have been. Like, you know, it's just kind of another flag is like how intense this place really is. Like it's definitely no, you know, normal energy lab um yeah because it was like that's a crazy amount of security to have for and sure. yeah i just really like how he's like new no, that is not <laughs> they are absolutely lying yeah 100 percent. he doesn't know how it connects yet but he yeah. knows that they're not being upfront. Yeah. so um, that transitions really well i love how they did that so like he says that on his way out by a vent and yes. uh, then it goes down the vent and takes you down to that crazy room where the cocoon the basement okay so here is what i was gonna say earlier did i say this already that i think the cocoon is a portal no you did not say that i think that the cocoon might be a portal through to the other dimension great point so like this thing came through the portal yes gotcha i don't know maybe I don't this know thing was a true. person at one point who got caught there and now has turned into the predator but like a really pale predator the pale man predator yeah yeah he is very like well you see a lot of him it (laughs) in this episode right like like and it has no face it has no face it's just mouth mouth yeah yeah and like you so then you see that where the shoulders and everything yeah not in this scene but in when you see him numerous times you kind of get the silhouette that he has a hundred percent Okay, so in this scene, so we're back down in the basement, and what we kind of originally thought might be, you know, a cocoon, and still may be, mm-hmm. um, but I did notice that there's, like, the snow slash ash type whatever that's falling. Yeah. So I feel like there's a bridge between this, you know, this world and the other world in this one place. Um so, and then we also, because I watched it with the closed captioning on, there was growling that was happening you know when they when we were in this scene so which has happened every time we're in the room with this thing right right yeah so so either maybe it is a cocoon and there is one of these creatures like still in there and that's what we're hearing or i did it did occur to me now that we know that they're in a different dimension but the same place that he could be there but not there like that that this is the gateway between those two worlds yeah yeah um oh shoot and i just had a thought now i completely oh sorry do you think that that means that it's like the gateway would have been in hawkins no matter what if they hadn't built this giant lab there and that's why they happen to be in this very strange place well i'm wondering if hawkins precipitated the gateway right you know like if the experiments that they were doing is what resulted in this portal being bridged Yes. You know? Yeah. So it's like, okay, so thinking back with this new theory to episode one, when Dr. Brenner and his guys come down after, like, the lab. Okay. So the scientist in the very beginning runs out of this room and he's, like, snatched up or whatever. That's when the creature first gets loose, I think. Right. And so Dr. Brenner and his guys come down to this room and they're, like, observing this portal slash cocoon slash root type structure thing and um and he just says like incredible whatever um i don't know i just i feel like you know either this thing has hatched in that moment Mm -hmm. or this is maybe the first time that there has been this breakthrough between the two agreed it does seem like they and they don't really know 
what they don't it really is. Know it's not it like is. they had this thing for like three years in the basement and it's just gotten out. I like it. They don't really know what it is either. Um, like just the way that they searched even Joyce's house, you know, like it's, they don't fully get it. Um, right. And even well, like we've talked about the fact that they're in these insane hazmat suits when it's like, they're, yeah, like they're in ultimate protection mode. They don't seem to know what to be prepared for. So they're just prepared for everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, like that theory doesn't, I feel like. I definitely think we're kind of onto something, but we haven't maybe fully considered the connection between this creature and Eleven. There has to be a connection there. Mm-hmm. And they would have had to have knowledge of or access to the creature in some way, I would think, in order to, you know, instill its powers in Eleven, if that's exa- if that is, in fact, what they did. But I guess I just know. like, is it that, you know, there is access to a portal to another dimension do they exist in different places? And Hawkins happens to be one place where it's more likely, although there is no history of like strange things happening in the place, right? It's incredibly mm-hmm. like, but yeah, why are they there if there isn't, especially if it is something like that? Just because I do find it very strange that this lab exists there. Yes. And in that you case, know, why not just be in the middle of nowhere? Like, right. Not, yeah. So like, I mean, either one of two things must have happened, right? Either the actions at the lab precipitated this portal or the portal existed and they built the lab around it. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and that would make sense in terms of why, I don't know, maybe this giant structure, instead of it being like this super top secret area 52. Yeah. Area 51. Yeah, Area 51 is the existing one. (laughs) This is Area Area 52. 52, The new one. The new area of the alien activity. Areas 1 through 50 are not existent. (laughs) And now 52. Um, Perfect. And then some device is being installed or something as well. I know. I don't know. You never see that again. I have literally no theories on what that is. I yeah. have no idea. Yeah. Um, so from there, we leave right as that thing's being bolted to the floor, whatever it is. And we've kind of mentioned this, but Eleven um, then is making her way through Mike's house. She goes upstairs into Nancy's bedroom. And she's just kind of like touching things and experiencing them. And that's where she does see that picture of Nancy and Barb. And I do, f- I did feel that there was like... A lengthy, there was a moment of pause Yeah, there, exactly. Sure. A pause or something where it's like on Barb, kind of similar to Will in the first picture. But no one's around her this time either to even pick up on it. So, mm-hmm. but I did feel that there was something in terms of her knowing that poor Barb is not in this dimension anymore, at least. For sure. Um, so back at school, Nancy is sitting with Steve and his friends at lunch. Uh, she's asking Tommy if he saw Barb, but he didn't um, when he left the night before. Uh, Steve's friends are obnoxious jerks, <laughs> uh, making fun of uh, such jerks. Like Nancy this, yeah. and and Steve, well, Nancy in particular. Yeah. Uh, so Steve suggests that Barb maybe just be skipping class, and Nancy just agrees, even though it's clear that she's like becoming increasingly worried. And this is such like such a high school thing, right? Where she knows that that's not the answer. Absolutely, like no way is Barb skipping. No, no way is Barb skipping. But instead of like just being upfront in her fears, Mm -hmm. I think you know, I think that she's afraid that 
she's overreacting or, you know, that people will think she's silly for jumping to this conclusion when it's probably nothing. And so she just continues to sort of delay, um, you know, finding finding out for certain that that Barb is missing. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's like hope for the best that it's not (laughs) as bad as she thinks it could be, even though like someone kid is already missing in your small town. Right. um, You know, but. And then um, Jonathan walks by and Nancy sort of briefly catches his eye. So I think that they, they're definitely establishing that there's a connection between Nancy and Jonathan. They, you know, yeah. Um, they've caught eyes a couple of times now and, you know, she had that little conversation with him in the last episode where she walked away from her friends who were being, um, you know, really kind of bullying towards him and whatever. Um, yeah. So not much else to say in this scene on that, but yeah, sort of a pointed eye catching. So we continue. We're um, in the school theme and we are with the boys, Dustin, Lucas and Mike. And they're outside looking for good slingshot rocks, which is actually not a slingshot. It's called something else, which some other child of the 80s will probably correct me on. But um, something rocket. Yeah. Wrist rocket. Wrist rocket. Yeah. Um, So they're looking for that and they're having a great discussion as to whether Eleven's powers are born or acquired and whether the X-Men, like X-Men or the Green Lantern. And then there's a discussion about the X-Men being weird and that that's great. Like they're just, I love that they're like, all of the things that they can relate to in the world come from their like cultural interest, right? Like it's the same as like, we had to go look for Will because of the way he acted in Dungeons and Dragons and he is a good person, you know, like, so it's just like more of that. (laughs) For sure. Um, and we see a return I, of the bullies that we saw in episode one, I believe. Um, yeah. When this time we do, we kind of commented, I think, in the first podcast that we're like, oh, they seemed not that bad for bullies. Well, this time they're yeah, more bullyish. Yeah. yeah. So they, you know, there's some jokes about Will, and then someone says, oh, my dad thinks he's dead. Um, and then it ends up getting physical, and Mike gets tripped, kind of cutting his chin open on a rock. Um, which, yeah, is super cute at the end because Dustin's like, well, you just found the perfect monster killer rock with your yes. chin. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah. Dustin. I, I really like, I, I feel like we're kind of getting to see more and more now the personalities of our three main yes. characters. And um, so obviously Dustin is the jokester. He's the, he's the, the clown a little bit. And um, Mike, I think, is... Um, how do you describe Mike? Like he's really, he's obviously the, he's, I don't know, sweet and uh, he's like the de facto leader, I think, in the but kind of a of, power struggle with Lucas, right? Yeah. Because like there's definitely, like, yeah. Lucas is, Lucas Skeptic. is the glass half full or half empty Absolutely. of the group. And yeah. he's the one who I think is kind of like the, the voice of, um, reason to a certain extent but yet also kind of like cynical in his whole approach yeah um you know so i i do actually think that like we we know that going to a parent is not the right thing to do in this scenario but under most scenarios like going to a parent is probably not a bad thing to do and lucas is the one who's like pushing for that and yeah. um so i think i think that mike uh the word that i was searching for is like he's kind of like an eternal optimist and um which i think it's back to what we talked about already too though like we haven't seen lucas and dustin's families we obviously know lucas has access to like 
military supplies. So arguably someone in the family um, served, right? And so like probably very pragmatic, practical things coming from that. I think Mike lives in the perfect world, you know, like his incredibly caring parents, everything's put together, lives in a beautiful big two-story home. Um, Like I think for him, it's like, well, what could possibly, you know, go wrong? So I agree with you. I think his optimism comes from naivete a bit there Mm -hmm. too yeah for Um, sure i agree yeah and then you know i also find lucas there's a bit of jealousy that comes in more for lucas than dustin even right where he's like yeah you know because mike is spending is giving 11 so much attention that's right and like oh you have feelings for her and this is like you know they're going from this group of like you know just boys to having this girl come in and no the other two have not connected with her in the way that mike has they haven't spent as much time with her she hasn't opened up no to them. That's true. Although yeah. I, Dustin is certainly more accepting than Lucas is. Absolutely. Uh, you know, he's he thinks her powers are cool, yeah. and he says, "Why do we need weapons when we've got her?" And you know, he's calling her a super, um, like superpowers and yeah. whatever. And um, like, yeah, Lucas is just like she's a weirdo. She's got to go. Absolutely. Marry her if you love her so much, Mike. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> exactly. So definitely changes the dynamics of that group. For sure. Uh, so Jonathan's in the dark room developing the pictures he took from the night before, including a few of Nancy undressing in the window in Steve's bedroom. Uh, so another student comes in and sees the pictures before he quickly pulls them down. So yes. Obviously Jonathan not going to go well, yeah. Poor exposed Jonathan. as a creeper, Jonathan. Yeah. Poor place to develop your photos. The public high school, you know, like Dark photography room. lab. Exactly. When other people could just walk in like that. Yeah. And they're creepy. Um, so, okay. Moving forward, we're going to go to the, um, the Hawkins Police Department going to the library. Yes. And there's a great opening scene when Hopper walks in. And Marissa, the librarian, is obviously not happy that she never got a call back after their previous date. But uh, this was my question. Is that the same woman? I no. don't think it is. No, I think he's kind of like making the rounds of Hawkins. Not a big okay. enough town probably to do that. Right. And I love he just answers, yep. <laughs> like he's, like, yep. he's like, yeah, I'm a jerk and I didn't call you back. And then he just jumps into being like, hey, can you help us look for all of these things that we need? Right. Um, so he has definitely decided, I mean, obviously he's already suspicious of the lab and he is now looking for specific articles on the lab. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we get, they end up going through microfiche um, of, and these are articles from not the Hawkins um, media. They're from bigger lab, bigger publications. Right. She, she's, I don't think she ever names them, but like it's the Times and the something else. And I think they're supposed to be from the unnamed city. Right. Um, that is nearby, but maybe it's bigger than that. But yeah, it's it's not just the Hawkins stories. Um, and so we come across, I think, four articles here. So yeah, I think we talked. So I copied down the writing that you could see as they really fly through these articles. Um, uh, you can pause and read them, but you certainly can't get other than the headlines. You can't read them beyond that if you're just watching it through. Right. Yeah, they flash really quickly on the screen, but Jess and I both um, paused and and read everything that yes. that, that they showed there. us. Yeah. yeah, there are some nuggets there for sure. Uh, so maybe, okay, so the first one is talking about, so this name of um, 
Terry Ives comes up a few times and they're yes. talking about a legal case that she has um, and that she is basically pressing charges against Dr. Brenner and a lab in relation to um, her newborn daughter, right? Yes. Going missing. So like there's the first one, um, Hawkins Lab blocks inquiry, um, alleged experience, experiments, abuse. So yeah, this Terry Ives woman is trying to expose what they are doing related to her daughter. And I think that Terry Ives, so I am um, speculating to a certain extent here, but I do think that it's it's um, pretty obvious in reading the articles that Terry Ives was herself a subject. Did yes. you get that? Yes. Yeah. So it says in one of the articles, the article titled um, MK Ultra Exposed. So MK Ultra is a CIA operation. Um, that is its code, na- code name. And um, there are six text test subjects who came forward with like allegations of abuse and that sort of thing. Terry Ives, I believe, was one. And then she also alleged that her newborn daughter was uh, kidnapped Yes, which by Dr. Brenner and, and the lab. Arguably her newborn daughter, perhaps fathered by Dr. Brenner, therefore mm-hmm. leading us back to the Papa discussion from last week, which Kim, you thought absolutely that he could be her father. Yeah. Which would definitely, yeah, tie together in a bit of a neat little package. Um, yeah, so um, there's... So, I mean, just as a quick aside, um, all of the charges were dropped in yes. the, in those cases. So it was found that there was not enough evidence to proceed. Yes. And she said that she was looking for damages against him, his facility, alleging physical abuse, sleep deprivation, malnourishment, and kidnapping. So, yes, like those, I think, are you know supposed to be things that happened to her as well as to her daughter. Mm-hmm. And skipping forward just a little bit, there is a a scene just a little bit later where Hopper and the other officer are talking about it and they kind of reference that they're like hippie LSD um, experiments that aren't really you know that serious so I didn't get that from reading these articles but like obviously these guys are the ones who actually like did all the research so I don't think you're you know supposed to get that they read a little bit more but obviously I think it does involve yeah yeah. Mean, there were a lot of LSD experiments in the 70s, um, for sure. And so maybe it has all to do with, like, that mind manipulation piece. And they just, the one cop just thinks it's all the same stuff that's been happening across the country. But then it's, like, obviously a lot more serious slash different than that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so uh, Karen has stopped over at Joyce's place to bring her a casserole. And the two are sitting at the table. Uh, while the casserole cooks. So Karen is Mike's mom and her youngest is Holly. Yes. Of the title Holly Jolly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, Holly is sitting at the table and she sees the Christmas lights um, start to light up. And what's like what's so brilliant, of course, about the Christmas lights that that um, that Joyce has chosen to put up is that by having them everywhere, essentially will can point Mm -hmm. with the direction of the lights right so the lights start lighting up in a line pointing towards will's own bedroom so holly follows the light and then gets in the bedroom and all of the lamps that joyce has set up are all going crazy and they are increasing in speed um of flashing uh until uh the wall then 
you know, hand starts to push out the wall. Yeah. Um, so the lights are all flashing. The lights abruptly stop. They're gone. Will is gone. And, uh, you know, we see a giant hand through the wall, which we know now to be the monster. Yes, because he successfully breaks through creepily in the future. Yes. yes. So you were 100% right on that, Jess. Like, so first of all, it's like, we we know that the abrupt stop of the lights is, or at least I can assume that um, Will is hiding at that point. He's right. no longer able to communicate because the the creature has arrived and now he can't, he can't communicate any further. He's like running or hiding or whatever he's doing, right? And then also it's the creature who's pushing back on the other side of that wall, trying to break through through from from like his dimension to. Yeah, so, like, how come he can just decide to go through in certain places? Oh, yeah, like, I guess that kind of puts my portal theory (laughs) out of commission. But I think it is still right. I don't think he's necessarily, I don't think he's outside of the house and pushing through, you know, plaster. Like, no, 100%. It it isn't pliable like that. Yeah. He's definitely in his world and pushing through into into ours. Um, Well, maybe this is part of the problem. I have questions on this. So, I mean, I don't know that there's a, a good answer, but okay, so um, Will has to be at least somewhat aware of the people in Joyce's house, the things that are being said, you know, he yeah. is able to hear Joyce ask him questions and then respond to them. So yeah. he has to be somewhat aware. So I wonder why essentially Will kind of lured Holly to the creature in this scene. Yeah, true. I mean, I, d- I don't know why. Does he realize that Holly's the only one with an eye down that hallway? Yeah, I don't know, you know. Because, yeah, I know you're absolutely right. And also, like, yeah, how did you not notice this kid just, like, wandered off, you know, far away when the... Anyway, but yes. (laughs) Um, Yeah, like, the only thing that I could really think of is that ultimately maybe Will is trying to... Like, obviously, that message was intended for his mom. So he must not, you know, have been able to focus his communication. And also, maybe, like, the monster appears really quickly. Because even in the later conversation, he's like, I'm right here. And then it's like, run. You know? Like, it's not... The sentences happen so close together, and yet they're very different meanings. Um, For sure. So I don't know if the monster is, like, just arriving so suddenly that he doesn't realize it. That's true. And that's like... um, like when you look at um like holly for instance holly who's entranced by all of these beautiful flashing lights that it's just like this cacophony it's of of it's like a light show and she's like oh so pretty but like when but what will is trying to say is like get the fuck out of here you know (laughs) and it's so it's so pretty too with all the christmas lights and stuff so pretty absolutely yeah and this is the only other thing in this scene is we already did touch up on this, but it's like Joyce realizes that she needs to kind of make an excuse for why her house looks like this. Like she's with it. Yeah. It's not like she's completely lost it. Um, right. Yeah. She she knows like, oh, it was Will's favorite time of year. So I'm just really getting ready. And it sounds like a reasonable thing when she says it, you know. Right. Makes um, me feel like he's home. Exactly. And then, you know, by the end, she's like, no, you have to leave now. Um, Because she recognizes that it's not worth it to keep Nancy thinking she's not lost her mind. Or not Nancy, rather. Sorry, Karen. That she hasn't lost her mind. Um, 
I'd like to point out that a lot of the people in this show are named after or have similar names to your family members. I Kim. know. I have a Karen. <laughs> I have a Nancy. Yeah. Who else? It's definitely a, you guys are of this era. That's for sure. <laughs> so um, true. Yeah. But yeah, that she's like, you know, you have to go now. Yeah. I'm going to sit in with a light in my hand and just wait. Yeah, Exactly. Okay, so then we move forward to Nancy trying to find Barb. So she calls Barb's mom and <laughs> does a terrible job of trying to figure out where Barb is. So she says, did Barb come home last night? And her mom's like, well, no, I thought she was staying with you. And she's like, yeah, that's what I meant. Did she yeah, come home this morning? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, of course, her mom... I think picks up something's not a hundred percent right and asks her to get her to call as soon as she can. And yeah, like right there, it's like, Nancy, something is clearly wrong. Like your last vestige of hope that she was somehow skipping Mm -hmm. or sick or something or not speaking to you is gone. Like obviously things are incredibly wrong. And so the next, that transition to a scene where, um, Steve and the other two from the house the other night are with the redheaded girl from the dark room who saw the creepy pictures and they see Jonathan and he's they know about the pictures obviously because the girl and so they ended up breaking into his backpack and discovering them and Nancy shows up um, and sees this happening and Steve very kind of cruelly breaks Jonathan's whole camera he said he was looking for his brother they don't really believe that the pictures are pretty incriminating, including including one of Nancy taking off her shirt through the window upstairs. 100%. Uh, yeah. Um, but they're ripped up and they're left on the ground. And Nancy bends down and she sees that picture of Barb sitting on the diving board, which yep. obviously never happened while Nancy was there. Like, it's, I don't know how she could not realize that was taken after. Um, I think she does realize. Yeah. And then she just leaves. And that's yeah, where, like, she, she I hate the scene. Yeah. Well, she takes them, but she doesn't say to Jonathan, hey, you took this picture. Did you see where she went? Like, Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, you're, you're standing right. there with the guy who is now the last human to have eyes on her. And I think you must realize that. And yet Steve says, hey, Nance. And she yeah, takes th- off. I feel like this this whole day, you know, is a real push and pull for Nancy where she doesn't want to look sure foolish or whatever and she doesn't want to be lingering with this you know freak who is jonathan the guy who took the pictures when steve is calling her to come and watch a football game or whatever yeah. and like i mean finally i'm she smartens up and realizes like this is this is real like yeah. barb's in trouble you know get get your priorities straight girl absolutely um yeah, so that's a really good point. I mean, why why would she not ask Jonathan about Barb? I know. Well, yeah, and even so like she, later she realized she has to go. But yeah, I just really wanted to be like, go ask Jonathan what happened. Yeah. Yeah. And so she takes a handful, a handful of the torn up pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she doesn't even collect all the pictures. Yeah. Jesus, Nancy. <laughs> She's a terrible friend. It's like... <laughs> Reason number 312 as to why we should not have Nancy as our best friend. But yeah. Poor Barb. Uh, but, poor Barb. Um, so Eleven arrives at the power lines at 315 to meet the boys. I think we might have, I'm not sure if we mentioned this part earlier. Um, that, I think we did because she has a good conversation with Mike about it. Okay, yeah. So um, so it's 315 um, 
the boys are done school and Mike has told her to meet them at the, the power lines behind the house. So she's out there and while she's waiting for them, she sees a cat, which prompts another flashback. So flashback is of her again in the lab, again with the sensor. She's being monitored by Dr. Brenner and she's sitting in front of a cat this mm. time instead of the Coke can. This is and a it, tough scene for cat lovers. Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> it is pretty clear that yeah. she is supposed to do to that cat what she did to that can. And she is not happy about it no. until finally she just rips the sensors off and like um, gives Dr. Brenner this defiant shake of her head. And so uh, next scene is that she is being dragged back to that hole, you know, this like metal room by the orderlies. And it's very, very reminiscent of the scene that we had um, just seen in the last episode. If uh, if not for the different ending, I would have thought it was the exact same. I couldn't remember if the last one was one guy or two guys. It was two. It was two? Okay. Yeah. And so there were subtle differences, right? Yeah. Like in the last one, she was being carted off uh, face first. In yes. this one, she's being carted off backwards. And in the last one, you know, she is taken to the hole and she is successfully locked in and she's crying in a corner. And in this one, when they tried to shut the door, she's having none of it and she just snaps the necks yep like she kills them both yep yep kills them both they can't they didn't shut the door but then her nose is bleeding she is obviously exhausted she collapses against the wall and dr brenner comes in and like touches her really affectionately on the head and um picks her up and and carries her out so he's obviously not mad anymore. I think ultimately Dr. Brenner got exactly what he wanted, which was I completely to, agree. It, yeah. Yeah. So she was she is absolutely able to do it to human or to animal a live subjects. Exactly. Subject. Yeah. She just needs the prompting to do it and sitting looking at an innocent cat in a cage who has done literally nothing to you didn't you know, she couldn't do it there, but well. as soon as she's challenged. Absolutely. Yeah, hundred percent. So like he is you know, carrying her you know, like a baby, and he's just like staring down at her lovingly the whole the whole walk, and yep. it's a long shot of him walking all the way down the hallway. But it's not like I mean, I mean, he's looking at her with like what could be construed as fatherly love, but yep. I, I think that it's a love of this specimen and not any love for her. I agree. You know, and the other thing I really noticed too is how much wear it took out of her. So I noticed she was bleeding from both nostrils, both nostrils, yeah, and her ear too. Oh, I didn't notice the ear. Yeah, and then even they had the makeup they did on her face. Like she looked really worn. Like her blood vessels were all showing. Yes, and... I noticed that. Like yeah. blue veins all through her face. Yeah. So like obviously it's not. I mean we've seen her her nosebleed now a couple times, but it, mm-hmm. I think that was a big exertion to kill two full grown men. So. Right. So I mean I guess when she like when she takes down the the gunman um, in Benny's diner Mm -hmm. when she escapes out the back i would be inclined to think that she either didn't kill them or that she's growing stronger right because i mean she i mean in this scene there's no way that she would have been able to break out running after that level of exertion yeah and she did when she escaped from benny's i mean she has run through the woods to meet up with the boys. So maybe, I mean, like, maybe I'm just getting too hung up on small details, but... But there's no blood on her face either. I agree. Like, it, it's that she's not... She didn't seem to have reacted the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay, so back to present day. The boys arrive. Eleven gets on the back of Mike's uh, bike so they can go look for Will. 
Absolutely. So finally we see back at school just super quick. Nancy is with Steve and she finally, finally decides that she needs to be going to look for um, Nancy, or rather Nancy, Barb. Um, and she, Instead she says she has to go do something for her mom. And she ends up going to finally check on Barb's car, which is exactly where... Um, it was, it was when she, exactly what she didn't seem to see like, last night. Even now, even now, you know, she is like coming up with this lame excuse that she has to do something for her mom. And I that's agree. Why she, like what? Just say, you know what? Barb's missing. I can yeah. go find Barb. Yeah, absolutely. And like, there's already a kid missing. Nobody's taking it seriously. Barb is now missing. Mm-hmm. She is the friend you brought with her. Like, what are you? I really hope, like, I really hope that the character arc that we see for Nancy is is to, for her to go from someone who obviously cares so much about what others think of her. Yeah. You know, like, she's walking through the halls the night after she lost her, well, I assume, lost her virginity to Steve, and she feels like everybody's looking at her. She's so concerned with, you know looking foolish that she, she won't tell anyone that she's yeah. concerned about Barb. I mean, like, I hope that at the end of this series, she's just like, I don't care. I am happy with my much less creepy boyfriend, Jonathan, who maybe will have some, you know, growth of his own throughout this series. That's right. Who will um, become less creepy? But you're yeah. right. And, and who's the person that we keep admiring for not giving a shit of what people think about her is Joyce. Uh, Joyce. Exactly, right? So it's like, that's exactly it. It's like you have to go look for your friend. There is nothing to apologize here. Just go do it. And just go do it. You're being ridiculous. Yeah. And yeah. why is this guy? Yeah. Steve. Yeah. I don't even understand Steve. And his friends are awful. They're the plain worst. Yeah. So. Um, so Nancy has found Barb's car unmoved. And uh, when she she goes to just look in the woods um, around the car for Barb, there's like something that scares her in the woods. It's like moving fast. I assume it is this creature. And it's in Steve's backyard or near Steve's backyard. Yeah. Yeah. Like in the woods off of Steve's backyard, the exactly. same place where Jonathan was taking those pictures. So we're back near the pool area, but it's not like there's no electrical thing. There's no like communication like Will is. It's just, yeah, something moving really fast seems monster-ish. Yes. Yeah. And then, um, so we're back with Eleven and the boys and Eleven asks Mike why the bullies hurt him. And um, so, you know, again, this, I kind of like speaks a little bit to this, um, psychic ability that I really think that Eleven has like obviously there is evidence of the bullying because Mike's chin has been split open um but when he you know sort of tries to brush it off you know she knows that he's lying and she says that she understands yeah I really liked her and like Mike friends tell each other I think she says too like she's kind of repeating his stuff back to him totally Um, yeah and her vocabulary I mean she says more again in this episode um it had more fuller sentences. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so then we're back with Joyce, who is still at home. She's obviously exhausted, but her Christmas lights do start uh, lighting up. The dog barks to prompt her to see them because they do light up in really isolated sections, just like you said, Kim, like like pointing. And they're she's following the lights. They're pointing in a certain direction. They lead to this, like, cupboard, cubby thing. Um, and so she gets right inside the cubby hole, which, Kim, you mentioned sound, like, you think he, Will, is, like, right literally in that cubby hole at the moment. Yeah. She grabs this ball of white Christmas lights. And super smart, 
Um, just starts asking yes, no questions, like blink one yes, two no. And she asks, are you alive? Yes. And are you safe? No. Which obviously just like super breaks her heart. And she can't figure out how to ask the next question because she can't figure out what a yes, no question to ask that would get her what she needs to know. Exactly. So it's like, where are you? Can you tell me? Can you tell me what to do? Um, And she can't figure it out. So immediately she goes and gets paint and writes an alphabet under each of the lights on her wall. And I just wrote down Joyce is a genius because she just, again, continues to think so quickly as to how she can make this happen. For sure. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so I definitely, I think that, um, like, what would the point have been for Will to use the lights to point to this cubby hole? Yeah. Is it like his power is stronger? Pardon me? Is it that his power is stronger there? I don't know. Like... I mean, maybe, yeah. I mean, um, or I don't know. I'm, I am really convinced that Will is pointing to Joyce where he is hiding. Right. Um, but it's just she can't see him because yeah. because he's he's hiding in a different dimension. And this is like a little cubbyhole. She had to move a bookcase to get behind That's there. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then Joyce is an absolute genius with the alphabet. We, um, you know, we saw this. I'm sure there's, you know, like not. I'm sure there's a number of examples where like this is used specifically, but the Martian, the movie, the Martian is one um, that I can think of really recently where uh, a similar sort of communication uh, hack was, um, was, was used um, when there was like very minimal communication. That's right. This is brilliant. Until they switch to highly convoluted hexadecimals, which that's when it becomes very much the Martian. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. There are fewer hexadecimals in Joyce's living room. Exactly. Yep. So, uh, so very quick that Nancy gets home. She is distraught. She's finally realized that. um, Yeah. Yeah. Surprise, Nancy. (laughs) Barb's missing. Uh, yeah. So she um, she tells her she starts to tell her mom about Barb. Yes, so we finally see that she's doing the right thing many hours late. Although in this case, I really don't know if any like if I don't think the hours truly make a difference, other than hopefully preventing further people from getting snatched. Like stop going out in the dark, you idiots. Right. Yeah, hundred um, percent. And then we're back at the library, and Hopper and another cop are discussing the articles that they found. So. Um, the other, I still don't know the other cops' names. I don't either. I don't. Um, I could never. Yeah. So, so the the other cop is really skeptical. He's like, I don't know about this Terry Ives. She seems like a nut. And you already talked a little bit, Jess, about like LSD mind control experiments, whatever. And this guy is just kind of brushing her off as uh, as a nut job. Yep. But Hopper put the connection together of Doctor Brenner, who's pictured in um, an article with five women in hospital gowns. This is the this the title of that article specifically is the MK Ultra exposed one, and um, so that one is where it talks about uh, that it is a CIA um, sanctioned research um, project. Yes. And uh, and so he knows now, of course, that Dr. Brenner is um, leading up the the National Laboratory also. Um, So Hopper looks at these two and says, you know, that fabric that we found on the um, on the drain pipe sure does look like a hospital gown. These women are all wearing hospital gowns. Dr. Brenner is, you know, in both. He thinks something's up. Absolutely. And there's no reason, or at least no explicit reason why an energy lab would have subjects in hospital gowns. You know, no. like, it's not like it is a hospital or a, you know, medical research center. It is an energy 
research lab and i think he absolutely has his like spidey senses tingling in For the sure. right direction here again getting back to the fact that hopper is by far the most intelligent of the police officers in hawkins 100 percent. so and these are two distinct and separate things right there's the mk ultra yes. cia sanctioned research and then there is the national hawkins um energy department Right. So they are two separate and distinct things. But Hopper is obviously putting together the pieces to say, like, why would a CIA sanctioned researcher now be working in an energy department? That's right. This guy is the key. And yeah, now he's working in this random lab. It doesn't make any sense. Right. And so he doesn't know yet how this might connect with Will, but he is theorizing that maybe, you know, he knows that there's something up at this lab. And so he's thinking maybe Will saw something that he shouldn't have seen or or something like that. And then um, Hopper gets a call um, on the radio. We don't know what's said, but they rush out of the library, um, flip the sirens and take off. So, yeah. So then we're it's night has fallen and the boys are on their way. Um, Eleven is supposed to be taking them to Will. That's why they have all the supplies. And she takes them to Will's house. And this is where the whole confusion happens. So she references that Will's hiding here. Um, the boys don't get it because this is his house and how can he be hiding here? Obviously he's not. Um, I get the sense that like Eleven doesn't have the words to explain what she really means here. Like, what do you think about the like complete lack of communication as to what's going on at this point? I, I get the impression. I mean, I don't know. Like, I feel like maybe 11 doesn't even fully understand herself what she knows. Right. Like it's, it kind of, it, it appeared to me that 11 knew that Will was there, Yeah. but um, I don't think that she seemed to be aware of the fact that, you know, Will was here but in a different dimension, you know, yeah. um, I don't know. Or, or maybe you're right. Maybe she just didn't have the words to describe it. And it's a good point. Cause she's so confused at the end too. And I don't understand. Like if she knows what's going on, I don't think it would be the same at the ending scene where they find Will's body then. Right. Yeah. So I, I mean like maybe she gets some kind of, you know, she has some kind of link, but she doesn't fully understand it or, you know, she, I don't know, she doesn't have, a, you know, a, like, fully psychic link th- with this creature. Maybe it's just, like, an awareness or a feel for this other dimension, but she yeah. doesn't really know what it is. I don't know. The other thing I thought was strange, and this is not a big deal, but it's, like, they show up and it looks like Will's house is empty and, like, extremely dark. And yet Joyce has just filled it with more Christmas lights than, like, exist in the entire town of Hawkins. Like, I was... Oh, that's really true. Because I, like, I actually remember thinking, like, oof, that house is creepy. Yeah. And it's, like, super dark and everything. And it's, like, how do they not realize that she's in there? And then, yeah, see all of these, what look like, actually very fun, you know, lights, even though they're not necessarily... Right. Um, but I guess point. moving from there, we because the next scene is Joyce still, now she's got her alphabet up on the wall, all of the lights are on, and she says, you know, she gets, she knows that Will's there, and she says, um, where are you? And he spells out right here. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and then she's like, I don't know what that means, what should I do, how do I get to you, or how do I find you? And that's when he types out 
R U N, which is definitely a very effective. Gave me goosebumps. The spelling of it is so creepy. It's very Ouija board, you know. Like um, when he said "right here," I thought he was gonna say "like right behind you" or something. And that's when the lights go super nuts, and we see the creature ripping through the wall. And this time, the creature actually comes through the wall. So it's that's the shot we really get of the face or the lack of face, I guess. Right. Um, and he's like super white and weird looking, like skin stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He really reminds me of, um, I don't, I mean, it's been so long since I've seen this movie. So maybe my, I'm remembering wrong, but do you remember that movie Pan's Labyrinth? I was just going to say Pan's Labyrinth with the guy with the eyeballs in his hands. Like, I think he is called the white man or something like that. Yes, totally. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, like, the, the like, mood setting, especially when it just, like, there's um, the music that comes up when it spells out R-U-N. Yes. is just, like, so effective, so yeah. impactful. It was, I was edge of my seat in this scene. Um, and then Joyce takes off. <laughs> yeah, just totally runs out of her house. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so the cops are um, driving through the woods. Uh, the boys are following behind them. Their sirens are still uh, still wailing. And they arrive at the lake at the bottom of the cliff that we saw in the last episode. And firefighters are pulling a body out of the lake. And it looks like it's Will. So the boys are in denial at first. But then as they realize it's him, Mike loses it on 11. He really thinks that she has misled him, that she's been lying to him. Um, you know, so all of this side, sort of like naive optimism that he has been showing uh, over the past three episodes is kind of crushed um, as he comes to the realization if, in fact, you know, uh, this is this is true that yeah. that Will is dead. Um, so uh, as you had already mentioned, like Eleven looks really surprised and confused. And he says, what's wrong with you? Yeah. Which I thought was a really, yeah, like cutting remark because it's, you know. It means so many things, I think, in this context. Like, what's wrong with you? You have these weird, you know, capabilities. You don't talk. You know, you've been lying to us, maybe. Yeah. Um, you've been deceiving us completely with all of those things. Yeah. For sure. And then um, there is a, a montage to a version of uh, We Can Be Heroes at the end, which I thought was great. So Mike takes off on his bike alone. His friends are calling after him. Then quick cut to Joyce, who's running from her house from the monster, and she meets Jonathan, who's driving home. Um, so he stops in the road. So Mike arrives home and is hugging his mom. And then quick shot to Joyce and Jonathan, who are hugging. And uh, then the episode ends as the police are just pulling up behind Jonathan's car in the street. Yeah. Yeah, I really liked, um, well, Hopper's response, too, when he's like, please don't let that be. Yeah. You know, the boy. Don't let too. it be the yeah, kid. Don't let it be the kid. Exactly. And then, yeah. And the music was a really interesting choice, too. I don't know who that version of Heroes is by. It Me wasn't either. a piece that I knew, but it's kind of upbeat. Like, it's a slower version than the Bowie version. But, like, yeah, it was an interesting, which probably speaks a lot to your theory in the sense that, like, this is not necessarily the true discovery of a dead kid. Um,. Because we've seen all of these other things, you know? Because, like, I feel like if it truly were, like, 
that, that it wouldn't be necessarily the music choice. Right. Although I really did find it to be like, I, I didn't find it super upbeat. I felt like it was a really, you know, sort of, um, heart wrenching, like Mm. final, final moments. And um, just like as a as a quick aside, there's um like I really loved this this music at the end, and then even though it's entirely unrelated, I'll just mention that. Do you watch the show Girls? Yes. Okay, so do you remember there's an episode in this most recent season of Girls where they ended it on a version Aurora's version of Life on Mars? Yes. Um, so just like I did think of that after, yeah. you know, where I was just like some really great you know, covers um, have like Bowie covers specifically that have been um, making their way to great TV lately, which is, which is nice to see. Absolutely. Especially in a tribute in this tragic year that we lost to David Bowie, which is such a sad thing. Absolutely. I know. I know. I, yeah. And I, so yeah, I guess be interested to see how people read that final um, scene. I cannot believe that Mike's mom is not out frantically looking for him, given now she's talking to her daughter about Barb missing. And Mike is just, like, randomly biking biking around the countryside in the dark. Like, I found that kind of strange. Because how are these kids away again? Um, But, yeah, I mean, obviously, I think going forward now, known that Barb is missing, Will's body potentially just discovered... You know, it's yeah. Thing, a... Things are about about to change in the town. Yeah. I think for sure, absolutely. So I mean, yeah. I think that obviously the big takeaway question is, you know, how can Will be dead? Yeah. And if he isn't dead, how is he not dead? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I think it's how can he be dead or how can he not be dead? Are exactly. The two exactly the questions that will come out of this, but they are. I thought it was a great twist because I think until this point, you just expect that you're not going to ever find his body, and I, that was a really shocking moment. I was like, mm-hmm. no, no, no. Yeah. Like this must be some other kid. Like I'm totally. I was totally with Mike, where it's like, no, no, it's not him. Yeah, it's then, obviously not him. Yeah. Um, so we we didn't really talk about this yet, but like. Is Barb dead? Do you think? Right. I mean, we saw her get dragged back into that pool. Yeah, I kind of. That was where I was going at the start, where she's like screaming, 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 and as soon as she gets dragged it back in, you don't hear her screaming anymore. And I felt right. like that was not a great indicator. Um, and how is Will? But then, if she's dead, how is Will not dead? You know, like how if this monster truly kills them in this world, I can't imagine Will could get away from him for that long. But Will hasn't gone far. He's only just gone from the shed to the cubbyhole. In my, you know, thoughts. But how did she get? How did he get away from the monster that was right above him in the shed? Yeah, well, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, don't know. Like I can't. That's true. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, I mean, okay. So when Barb, when we open on Barb, and she is like sputtering up water yeah i mean even though he snatched her i mean he is not currently holding her he doesn't have hands on her in that moment right yeah like so so she has a few seconds she has enough time that she's almost able to climb the stairs out of the pool yeah so i don't know i guess maybe like that same amount of time might be enough time for will to dash from the shed into the house in this alternate dimension maybe lock the door behind him find you know the cubby hole that's hidden by a yeah i, and then just I guess maybe i'd like yeah i think it's possible that that will could have somehow just like sneaked out of his clutches and is now in a place where the creature doesn't know where to look for him but then how is his body in the quarry lake thing <laughs> i don't know <laughs> 
<laughs> I will not. I will not be able to stop thinking. About I really this. like. I assume anybody listening to this has actually watched the entire season because there's no reason why you wouldn't have just binged the entire thing together. And I'm sure they're just like, "This is hilarious to listen to because <laughs> everybody else knows why that's, that's the right. case, but not us." No. Um. So I think that the next question is, uh, when can we do another one? Because I need to watch episode four. <laughs> We will regroup soon. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, yes, there is. I think we have to, like, pick up the pace on these in the soul, like, just yeah. to get through them. Because, yeah, it's going to drive me crazy not knowing. I know. And then every time I go into work, every time I go into work, um, my friends are like, oh, my God, are you <laughs> are you caught up on Stranger Things yet? Yeah. And I'm like, no, I'm not. They're like, oh, God, Kim, like, get it together. Uh, well, I hope everybody <laughs> appreciates the efforts being put into this podcast. Yeah, I hope so. I yeah. feel like they are going to be fully entertained Absolutely. listening to these episodes if if not for anything other than to just like the Kim la- theories alone. La- laugh at our hilarious <laughs> theories. Amazing. Um, okay. Okay. Well, well thank thanks you so everyone. much, Jess. Thanks guys for listening. Absolutely. And we will be back here again soon. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. Bye.